Well, good morning to each one of you. I want to welcome you here. Welcome you visitors here. It's good to have you with us. Welcome the home folks as well. What a day this is. It's, a, it's an opportunity, as Brother Glenn mentioned this morning, to enjoy two ordinances in one day. Uh, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper this morning and then the, the ordinance of, of uh, baptism uh, here after the meeting. But we also have a convergence today of, of another event that comes in. We're at the time of the year we call Christmas, and we're celebrating the birth of our Lord, and it comes with a baptism. And uh, this, is, this is truly a blessing. As we think about the meaning of Christmas, the meaning of Christ's coming, the, the reality is that what we, are, what we are celebrating after the meeting here will be the part of the purpose for His coming is to bring many sons to glory. And by God's grace, we want to uh, take this in and not miss the meaning. title of this message this morning is The True Meaning of Christ's Birth. And let's go to, I want to invite you to Matthew 1. And this is where we're going to take our text this morning. It's going to be, it's going to be found here in Matthew 1. I want to begin reading in verse 17 and read to the end of the chapter. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, willing, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But when he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And she called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Our Lord, as we come to your, the record you have left us, Lord, of the coming of your Son, that he was brought down and made like unto men, yet without sin. His humanity is on full display here, as well as his deity. And I thank you, Lord, for this record, and I just pray that you would open this word to our eyes, to our understanding. Our hearts may grasp the truth of it, that we may honor you with our lives as a result of these truths. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this passage, we notice we started in, in 17 for a reason. There were generations from Abraham to David, 14 of them, 
14 from David to Babylon and 14 from Babylon to the birth of our Lord. This, this, is, an important, this is an important part of the gospel because we have God promising to Abraham that I'm going to, out of your descendants, I'm going to bless all nations of the earth, and in you all nations will be blessed. And the, the people of Israel waited for centuries for this promise to be fulfilled. And so when they were looking for the Messiah, is he this one, or is he that one, or is, is he coming here, or is he coming there, or, or, or what is... What are we to look for? One of the ways that they knew that the, the Messiah would, would that, this, that the man who would come would be the Messiah is that he would be in the lineage of Abraham. Now, this genealogy gives us Joseph's lineage, Joseph's ancestry, his connection to Abraham. We went to Luke. We're not going to take the time, but we go to Luke 3, verses 23 through 38. Again, we have another genealogy uh, given right at the beginning of Jesus' life, and that's Mary's genealogy going back to Abraham. So this is very important to the gospel because it fulfills, is a fulfillment of what God has said. It's a it's, it's God keeping His Word, and they were able to witness this right before their very eyes. Now let's notice that there's also a historical context that goes with this setting. There's a setting here. And, and Israel is at this point in their homeland. They are in the land God promised to Abraham. But they are under the rule of a foreign leadership, foreign empire, and that would have been the Roman Empire. So while they're in their land, they're not ruling their land. It's, it's theirs by, by, by right of God's command, but they're, they're, they've had their power stripped from them, and they have to, they have to now fall under the leadership and under the, the, the commands and the dictates of a foreign, of the Roman rule. And Jesus' birth is right here in this setting. We are at the place where we're past uh, in history just before this. You know, we had many who, who in Israel tried to stand up and revolt against the, the, the Roman army. They led little bands of, of, of uh, rebels who would, who would try to release their, their, the Romans' hold upon Israel tried to, to force them to turn them over to their own, have their own leadership. None of this ever worked for a long period of time. They were able to, to basically all they got done was the Romans were wise in allowing them to somewhat have their own life within the sphere of the Roman rule. But the Romans could impose anything they wanted, any taxation, any kind of... Uh, of uh, slavery they wanted to upon Israel. And it was a, it was a dark time because if you understand, part of the promise of, uh, for Israel was that you will be a great nation. God told, told Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And, and, and this was not what was happening here. This was, they were in bondage and in slavery to someone. So it was a dark time. And, 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 and not only that, for 400 years, there's not been a word from the Lord. The heavens are silent. The darkness that lay upon these people was a darkness that was felt and was seen around them. This this adds to the trouble, the troubled setting in which Jesus was born. If we hold our finger here, we'll go over to Luke 2. And as the scripture reading this morning, I want, just want to point out to you 
several verses here. Notice in verse 1, it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this census took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So the, 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 most, the best we can, we can understand of this is that there was a census being taken. The old King James uses that all the world was be taxed. And so the government would send out and they would require everybody to come to their home city so that they could be they could have their they could be counted there'd be a number of, of people counted and then there would be tax imposed based upon the number of people that they had counted so all went to be registered everyone to his own city it says Joseph also went up out from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. So because he was of the lineage of David, he must go to David's hometown. And David's hometown we know to be Bethlehem. It is in this setting that uh, Jesus was born. Going back to Matthew 1, we have Matthew bringing together here the 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 private uh, lives of Joseph and Mary. And it was how that the trouble did not just, it was not just included out there in the way they were ruled as a nation and the, and the stress of their lives was not just about uh, them out there, but was about Joseph and Mary in their own personal lives. And let's notice that God just just intervenes into their lives. Says that after this, I'm sorry, after his, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she, found, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. We have this in more detail in, in, in Luke 1, and I'm not going to go there to... to for us to, to dig into that. But I want us to note that the, the, the stress that this brought into Joseph and Mary's relationship as an engaged couple to be married, they were already legally betrothed to one another. And in order to get out of this relationship, Joseph would need to, to, to write up a divorcement for her. So, it was very binding, but they had not yet come together. They were not living together. And during this time, she comes up with child. And we can understand that Joseph is, is, is what should he do? According to the law in, uh, in, in, in Deuteronomy 22, he should write her a, a, a bill of divorcement, and she should be stoned. That would be the, the normal process of the law. But what, let's notice it says that her husband, verse 19, her husband, Joseph, her, Joseph, her husband, being a just man, did not want to make her a public example. And Joseph does not understand that this is by the Holy Spirit. It is of God. It is something that was not... Uh, Something Mary did wrong, but there was something that God was doing that was extraordinary. It was special. It was, it was for this time and place. You could say that as you look at the history, we saw all those generations, and now's the time. They've come to the place. This is the place where God said it's the fullness of time. And so, as he is, is pondering what he would do, he would he put her away secretly. He did not want to make a public scandal out of, her, out of their situation. His uprightness of character and heart was that he loved her and he did not want to hurt her or, use, or, or put her in a bad place. We understand from Luke 2 as we read that as they came to Bethlehem, there there were the, the place of his, the setting of his birth, these were poor people, by the way. 
and the setting of his birth was not in the palace. A king ought to be born in a palace. A king ought to have the best of, of care. The king ought to be welcomed with fanfare. The king ought to be brought in with, with great honors. But this king was born in a place where they housed the sheep. And when he was born, he was laid in a manger or in a feed trough where the sheep ate out of. And, you know, we, we have pictures today of, of uh, you know, this tranquil uh, manger scene, you know, and everything is just quiet and silent. And yet I think there was so much, it was so crowded in that area. It was so stressful. I don't think it was exactly a silent night. But nonetheless, this is, the, this is where Jesus was born. This is the setting into which he came. It was not ideal. In fact, in many ways, it was, there were things that were badly wrong. And, and yet God chose that in this setting is where his son would come to represent him and to be the Savior for sinners. Why the trouble and the chaos? Why was all this happening? Now, we ask ourselves this question many times. When things aren't going as they ought to go, when things ought to be going well, when we ought to be putting our best foot forward, in this life and in this world, we're met with chaos many times. I just want to spend just a minute to look back into Genesis. And we're going to go to Genesis 2. So if you can keep your place here, let's go to Genesis 2. And I want us to note, it's, it, it, it's, it's a part of what Brother Glenn was sharing with the children this morning, <clears throat> that the, the trouble that Jesus came to, 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 to the sin that Jesus came to set his people free from began in the garden. And let's, 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 let's look here in Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Number one, this trouble began when man transgressed this commandment of God. God here has said that every tree of the garden, you're free. To eat. You're, you're welcome to have every other one except this one. And so Satan really makes them believe that God is holding back on them to keep this one tree from them, to keep this one place from them. That if they would do this, they would be successful. They would be happy. They would have everything they could think of. It would go beyond what they have here. God says, on the other hand, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. The Hebrew there would say, you shall die, die, or dying you shall die. And it's an emphatic, it's an emphatic and sure death. Now, we could say that Man died spiritually that day. There was death that occurred in his heart that day. There was a separation from God. There was a, there was a hiding from God. There was a division in their relationships with each other and a division in their relationships with God. There was a, there was a barrier between them and the rest of creation. So that chaos began to occur. We don't have to go very far down the road from here and we find 
where their oldest son stands up and murders the second son. And so we have an understanding that though God did not strike them dead at that point, yet death was there present with them. Listen, let's, let's, let's think about this today. Many people think that because we're breathing, we're, our heart's beating, our, our, our mind's working, we're okay. I want you to know that apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a sentence of death on every one of us today. Every one of us is going to die. The question is, if a man dies, will he live again? God's answer to that question is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this, we must understand that the context of the birth of sin, of the birth of Christ, is the presence of sin. In the presence of sin, the wages of sin is death. We can't, we can't bypass that when we come to Matthew 1. Yes, it was in the fullness of time that God sent His Son. But sin was already being developed. By the time we come to the time of Christ, people knew how to sin in a way that, that they covered it up very well. They handled their sin on a physical level in a way that they didn't know how to do when they sinned in the Garden of Eden. So it's a developed, it's an ingrained, it's a generation-to-generation generation problem. And I want us to, to note that the generations here tell us that all this time went by and the presence of sin is still there. You know, we look back now and, and many generations back to the time of Christ, the presence of sin is still here. And let's not, let's not think this morning that we could just pull our, ourselves together and do a little better. Because God requires perfect obedience. God requires perfect holiness. The first, very first commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. How many of us do that on a daily basis? You know, I probably don't do that five minutes in a day as I ought to. We have need for more than what we can bring to the table. Our sin is greater than the effort we can put forth to come to Christ. In fact, we can't come to Him unless He makes the way for us. This is what we have to understand. This is God's view of man's sin. He's separated. And unless, if God does absolutely nothing, man goes to hell under the judgment and wrath of God, and there's no one to stop, no one to intervene, unless God himself does it. And that's what we want to note. The divine intervention of Christ is point two. The divine intervention. Let's go back to Matthew 8, 1. And let's go to verse 20. And we notice that just as the angel intervened in Joseph's life, so God is intervening upon the sin of the world. Therefore, while he, it says, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. God intervenes with Joseph's thinking. He says, I know you want to do the right thing, but Joseph, this is of the Holy Spirit. 
This child is born of the Holy Spirit. And we don't find John, uh, Joseph to be in the same mindset that John, John's, John the Baptist's father was, Zacharias, where he didn't believe the angel. He, he didn't believe that they would have a son in their old age. And here when the, when the angel comes to Joseph, he believes that the baby in her womb was placed there by the Holy Spirit. So, he says, She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. I want to look at the meaning of Jesus. The meaning of the word Jesus is Savior. Savior, here he says, for he will save his people from their sins. What, he, what we must understand is that to save here means that he, they're not just going to all of a sudden have their troubles all taken away from them. They're not going to just all of a sudden have the Roman Empire disappear. They're not going to just suddenly have political strength and freedom. They're not all of a sudden going to have their sicknesses and their pain and their trouble all done away with. But I want us to note the purpose for God's intervention on the history of man. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will. That's not shall, it's not might, it's not could, it's will. He will. Save his people. He's not here to come for any other group than his own. It is his own that he's coming for. And he wants to save them from their sins. Save here means, first of all, it has two meanings. It means to deliver in this context, to deliver from the penalties of the judgment of the Messiah which would be the wrath of God. You know, as Jesus came as a baby here, He's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. As He came as a lamb to save us from our sins, He's coming back as a lion of the tribe of Judah who will judge the world. And the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon all who will not believe in Him. All who will not come to Him for salvation. That sin still lays there unless they come to Christ. And as we look at this, Jesus is the purpose and meaning of this intervention in history. He is the person who has come to save His people from their sins. In Romans 5, we have Paul talking about this, this very thing that Christ has done. And Paul is talking about this after, after the, the resurrection of Christ. In Romans 5 and in verse 9, he says, we begin in verse 8, But God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. That when a person is justified, when he has believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, when he has come to faith in Him, <clears throat> the assurance is that he will be saved from the wrath of God. The wrath of God will be will be. Mitigate will be taken away from him because he will be in Christ in that day. Now, not only is it to save man from the penalties of sin, but it's also the second meaning is to save from the evils that obstruct the reception of the deliverance of the Messiah. Let me say that again. To save 
from the evils which obstruct the reception of the deliverance of the Messiah. How many people are resistant to the deliverance that Christ would bring? How many people are, are here going on in their sin, in the blindness of their hearts, and they don't want to know about Christ? They have no interest in the will of God. You see, my friend, unless there's a way that's made, unless that those evils are taken from before them, they won't receive Christ. Turn with me to Joel 2, verses 28 through 32. And in Joel, this, this, this passage is also quoted at the day of Pentecost when, when the Holy Spirit is poured out there. And, this is, and Peter says, this, this, this prophecy in Joel is now fulfilled in your midst. It's being done right now. <clears throat> Verse 28 out of Joel 2. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servant and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall, be, it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want us to note that he is here now talking to Israel. He's giving this message from God. And he's talking about how that they have uh, they've come out of, there's going to be a day when they're going to come out of their sin. And he says in verse, in, in, in verse 28, he says that afterwards, after the time that he, has, that he uh, is afflicting Israel for their sin, he says, afterwards, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And what that simply means is that the, the Holy Spirit is not going to be confined to Israel. And that's what we see happening on the day of Pentecost, isn't it? People from all different languages and tribes and nations of the, of the known world then were gathered at Jerusalem. And he says, I'm going, to give my, I'm going to pour my spirit out to every other kind of people. This is not going to just be for the Jews only. And you see how God is removing the obstructions, the, the things that stand in the way for people to believe. What was, a, what was bigger than the fact that you had become a Jew to come to the worship of God? That you, had to, that you had to come and you had to offer the sacrifices. He says, I'm taking that away. I'm taking that away. Notice that he says, there's going to be an understanding. And that's what I believe it means there. The old men, the young men shall, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And it's because the Holy Spirit is going to give an understanding of God and His Word. There's going to be a, 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 a reality of knowing Him. And he says, in that day, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I believe that needs to be made just as plain and as bold as it can possibly be. The gospel is for all who will call on the Lord to be saved. That's what Jesus' name means. That he saves, and He will save His people from His sins. His people are all those who call upon Him for salvation. Let's go to, to, to Matthew 1 again. We have another name in verse 23. Virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. 
You see, this comes as a fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14 to 16. We're not going to turn there, but we saw that this morning. It was read this morning. And it's that the, the Lord is going to, to answer to the problem of sin, and it's going to be His Son. This woman is going to bear, this virgin is going to bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. What does this, what does this mean? You see, it's more than just a flash in the pan salvation. This is more than just to get you to come to the altar and say a prayer. Salvation is about God living with us, in us. And that, that is Christ coming and dying for us and the Holy Spirit living within us. You see, that means that there's a, a long-term effect. There's an eternal effect of this birth. There's an eternal work that Christ has accomplished by coming to this earth. And this is the meaning of his birth. Lastly, I want to look quickly at the supernatural effect of his birth. He's saving his people from their sins. And I want to look at two examples from Scripture of what it means, number one, to be saved from our sins. Number two, what it means for Emmanuel, God, to be with us. We have a young man here who has requested baptism because God has been at work in his life. These two, he is understanding what these two things mean. That Jesus saves from his sin. And that Christ is here to dwell with us. Turn with me to Luke 23. Luke 23. And if we understand the birth of Christ, we understand that He came to die. This is now the death of Christ. Verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ... Save yourselves, yourself and us. The other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. What does it mean for Jesus to save sinners? Well, we have this right before us here. There is, even in his death, as his life is being slowly, slowly ebbing from him, he has not neglected the purpose for which he came. That he came to save sinners from their sins. Let's notice that if we would go to Matthew, we would find that both thieves that were crucified on either side of him were railing upon him and mocking him. If you're the Christ, one says, save yourself and us. So he's hung in the midst of criminals. He's counted as a criminal. And as he's dying, this other one, this one looks at the other and he says, we deserve what we get. We're getting justice. We've done wrong. This man's done nothing wrong. This man does not deserve to die. And when let's notice the amazing faith that he had. He said, Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom. That man understood that this is Jesus who is saving his people from their sin. 
And at that moment, he believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Friends, that's what it means to be saved from our sin. It means that we believe that he really does take us from this valley of death and bring, translate us into the kingdom of his dear son. That he really does give us an inheritance with himself. You see, this life is a veil of tears. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. But what this man did was he traded, he, he at the last minute realized he's trading his life here for the life to come. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life will lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same is going to save it. You, you can't get away from that, from that twofold dichot that 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 twofold um, two-edged sword. That two-edged sword cuts into everyone's life. If you're here to save your life, to preserve your what you have, to make it good here, you don't know what it means to be a sinner. You don't understand that Jesus Christ is the only means of eternal life. You can't have it. He doesn't say you shouldn't have it or you might not get it. He says you can't. It's an impossibility. If you live for here and now, it is an impossibility to make it to heaven. But he says, whosoever will lose his life for my sake and for the gospels, the same will save it. You lose your life here so that you get it there. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep, who loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The words of Jim Elliot. We cannot rightly afford all the luxuries of, of this world today and serving the pleasures and lusts of it if it means that we miss eternal life, is that, is, that a, is that a price you're willing to pay? Is that something that you've considered before? That you really don't have the option of eating your cake here and having it in eternal life? Have you ever considered that it's going to mean the life of Christ here, which was a life filled with trouble and toil, to gain eternal life there. This he did for us. And we are to follow in his steps. It is because this is the way he has went. And if we are going to follow him, this is the way we too will go. But let's not forget the, last, the, the second name. We're not going this alone. It is Emmanuel, God with us. We're not called to do this by our own power and our own strength. We're not called to live here and endure the temptation and troubles of life by ourselves. Our lives are sold out because He is now with us. He is our life. Has he saved you this morning from your sin? Notice he saves us from our sins, not in our sins. And take, please take that the way I mean it. We cannot free ourselves enough. There's no works we do to come to Christ. We can't prepare ourselves to, serve, to, to, to be saved. He must save us. But there is a result of life, an effect of life that is changed when we are saved. He doesn't change a few little things and make us happy and leave us to set in the mire and the muck of our sin. It says that we are raised with Him to heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
It says that we are that we are we are now translated in the in the spiritual realm from the kingdom of darkness and been placed into the kingdom of his dear son. You were once children of the night. You are now children of the day. You were once in darkness. Now you are in light. Walk as children of the light. You see, that's what I mean by He doesn't save us to be in our sins. We're still dealing with sin here. There's still remnants of our sin that we deal with here. But He's given us a new place spiritually. We are in Christ, not in ourselves. We are serving Him, not the lusts of our flesh. We are now united with Him and not with the filth of this world. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 1, and I want to look at the testimony of another. 2 Timothy 1. Here's what it means to have God with us. Verse 8. And this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to Timothy. He says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel to which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know who I'm believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that what I have committed to him until that day. You understand that this is Paul. He's in his last days. He is likely in the Mamertine prison. I was reading from John MacArthur who was giving his understanding of what the Mamertine prison was like. He went over there and he, and he saw the place where this prison was. It was the last place Paul was likely held before his death. And as he said, the, 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 the opening is no bigger than a manhole in, a, in the street. And they would put prisoners into this hole. And down there was this, was this dungeon that was 30 feet or so across. On the one wall was a large door that ran right alongside of the city sewer. And they would put the people in there for a certain amount of time until they were almost starved to death, and then they would flood the prison with the sewage and drown them and let the water wash the bodies away. It's a terrible place. Nothing sanitary, nothing comforting, nothing of... It's just a horrible, miserable place. And what does he say he's there for? Let's note. He says, he asked Timothy to share with him in the sufferings of the gospel. According to the power of God. Let's see. Verse 11. He was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. You realize that Paul experienced the deliverance from his sin, and he's now experiencing God with us. He stayed faithful to the gospel that delivered him from his sin. And he's now a preaching and teaching this gospel, and it landed him in the Mamertine prison. And he is able to, with boldness, say, I'm not ashamed of that gospel. 
It takes God with us to do that. There's nobody in their right mind would do that unless God is with them. You see, God has told us, He's told us that we are to teach, preach the gospel and baptize in the name of Jesus. Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But listen, you know what that means? It means that now we are identified with Christ. And Paul is here in this prison because he's identified with Christ. And we can only explain it by the words of Paul himself that Paul wrote, though the outward man is perishing, the inward man is renewed day by day. You see, the only explanation to face the sufferings that come because of Christ, to be faithful, the only explanation for that is that there's God in us. Christ was with Paul to the very end. And so he is with all his children. He calls them not for a one-day salvation, not for a five-day salvation or a 10-year salvation or a good time salvation or a prosperous time salvation. He calls them for an eternal salvation. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen yet in this country. We too may be facing exactly what Paul faced. But does that deter you this morning from being committed to the one who saved you? Are you convinced that he is able to keep what's committed? Your life is committed to him if you are in Christ. Are you convinced this morning that he's able to keep that until that day when he returns? That's the meaning of Christmas. That Christ was sent to save us from our sins and to dwell with us eternal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given Christ for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made righteousness of God in him. And you have promised, Lord, that you'll be with us until that day. You will never leave us or forsake us. So I pray, Lord, for each one here today that you would bless them with salvation and with your presence. There may be a directive a redirecting and a guidance, a keeping and a, per, and a preserving that causes them to persevere after you, Lord. And Father, we ask your blessing on this word that your truth may bear fruit in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.